This is an ABC podcast. Uh, congratulations, Dr. Swan. For what for? Well, I heard a birdie told me that on Australia Day you received a special honour. Oh, I did. And it was a great honour. Yep, I got an AM. It was very nice. AM. Very nice. And I've still to find out who actually nominated me because that's a huge amount of work. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful to that person as well. So it's very nice. It's particularly as a migrant to Australia. I'm a, I'm a new Australian and I still feel like a new Australian sometimes, so it's great. I always think of you as very old Australian. Well, that's what my kids think. <laughs> Congratulations, DRNSAM. Let's do CoronaCast. Yeah, why not? Hello, it's CoronaCast, a show all about the coronavirus and other things as well. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor on Jagera and Tourable Land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan on Gadigal Land. It's Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Three years ago, give or take a couple of days, the World Health Organisation declared this novel coronavirus to be a public health emergency of global concern or international concern. And at the time, one of the questions we got a lot was like, when does it stop being that? Well, three years on, the WHO met again this week and decided that it's still a PHEIC, a public health emergency of international concern, at least for now. But they're saying that we're coming to a transition point. Norman, no one ever told me pandemics lasted such a long time. They do. Um, If you look at the plague, the Black Death, that pandemic, which was the second pandemic of plague, lasted for about 300 years. And like COVID-19, it came in waves. So it wasn't there all the time. It came, it went a little bit and then came back and it spread. And then there was a period of quiescence. And uh, so it's not unusual for pandemics to come in waves rather than just be there all the time. And COVID-19 is certainly coming in waves and it can be there a long time. So it's not yet seasonal. So people say, well, when when would it actually stop being a pandemic? And one signal might be that it becomes seasonal and it's not yet seasonal. A question, though, about the wording is they call it, it they, I mean, the official title is public health emergency of international concern. What's the criteria for something remaining an emergency? Well, I think from WHO's point of view, it's about intervention, it's about where they direct the resources, it's about the attention that they want national governments to pay towards this and not neglect it. Um, And what the committee that oversees this for the World Health Organization says is that um, they agreed that COVID-19, and I'm quoting, remains a dangerous infectious disease with the capacity to cause substantial damage to health and health systems. And their issue was whether or not the continuation was required to maintain global attention to COVID-19 and the negative consequences that could arise if the uh, public health emergency was terminated. And then what's exercising them is how to transition to you know, a less emergency footing or lower emergency footing in, in a safe way. So they've, they've talked about this transition point and they've set in place temporary recommendations, a lot of which seem pretty familiar in the Australian context. It's things like high levels of vaccination, especially among high priority groups, medical countermeasures, so medical things that um, help people when they have COVID, like the antivirals that we've got um, pretty good access to, at least here now, and a national response to prepare for future events. I'm guessing, though, that Australia's preparation levels are maybe a little bit higher than many other countries in the world. Yeah, and the the recommendations they're making um, also include um, that national governments should integrate COVID-19 vaccination 
into life course immunization programs. So rather than being outside of normal immunization, it starts to become integrated into the normal immunization programs of, of countries. And Food and Drug Administration has taken a step towards that, talking about annual COVID-19 vaccination. Drug companies are looking at combined COVID flu vaccination. So that could become much easier to do. They're really concerned about COVID-19 um, surveillance data and, and getting the data in from all regions, and they just don't have good data anymore because of you know poorer surveillance, poorer testing, and they're particularly interested in animal-human environmental surveillance as well. They want countries to increase the uptake and ensure availability of medical countermeasures such as vaccines, diagnostics, treatments for COVID-19 and preparation for future events. And I suspect this is really where there is a weakness internationally in terms of preparation for future events. So there's a lot of work to be done. And I suspect that the WHO is concerned if they lift the emergency, get rid of the emergency definition, the urgency to do some of this stuff will disappear. And not only that, there's probably not that much urgency at the moment anyway, even with an emergency system in place. Interestingly, they also encourage WHO to assess, and I'm getting a quoting, and if necessary to accelerate the integration of COVID-19 surveillance into the global influenza surveillance and response system because we really haven't done globally enough work on monitoring covid globally in a systematic way in the way they do with influenza, nor indeed have we developed a global system for what's called One Health, where we're regularly monitoring for entirely novel infections or re-emergent infections, which could become pandemic infections, which aren't COVID-19 or flu. I'm so glad you mentioned that because there's a really interesting story, well, interesting depending on your definition of it, um, circulating at the moment with a different uh, virus in animals They've detected a type of flu in mink, the sweet little furry animals that sort of live in the Northern Hemisphere, that is potentially a problem because mink can be a an intermediary animal where an influenza virus could become amplified. And it actually happened with COVID as well earlier on. Yeah, it went into mink and large numbers of mink, I think, in northern Europe were uh, slaughtered as a result of the COVID-19. They're worried about it coming back into humans at that point. The story here is that uh, in October, they noticed a much higher death rate amongst American mink being farmed in, the, in Galicia in Spain. They collected swabs and they found that this was a variant of H5N1, which is avian flu. And H5N1 has been circulating in various forms. It's particularly um, amongst birds. And they looked at what the mink were being fed and they couldn't trace it back to poultry because there have been big poultry outbreaks around the world of H5N1. There was there hadn't been, uh, up until you know, just a couple of weeks ago, there hadn't been any poultry outbreaks reported from Galicia in Spain. So it's a bit of a mystery as to where the mink got this from. They were pretty sick. There's no indication that it's spread to humans. There has been you know, similar versions of the H5N1 have been found in gannets and seagulls around that area. So it could be that the bird poop from wild birds was the source. But the really worrying thing about this is the mutation that they found in this version of H5N1 that could 
allow the virus to infect mammals more easily. So remember, mink are mammals. You've got avian flu, so it spreads amongst birds. Now it's spread to mammals. It seems to have a mutation which could indicate a preference of this version of the flu to mammals with a potentially high death rate. And the worry here is that mink could be, and this is what you were alluding to earlier, is that mink could become a mixing vessel for influenza viruses where they actually transition avian viruses to mammalian viruses. And when you've got a mammalian flu virus, the worry is that it could spread to other mammals and indeed to humans. So humans can get H5N1. You can catch it from birds and they can become quite sick with it. You can get pneumonia requiring hospitalisation, but humans don't tend to pass it on to other humans if they catch it from a bird. Whereas you're saying with this mink version, perhaps it mutates into a form where not only can humans catch it, they're catching it more easily and potentially able to pass it on as well. That's the risk and that's what people are worried about with the next flu pandemic. That's what will occur is that there will be a transition through animals coming to humans and there'll be human-to-human transmission. So some of these animal viruses have high mortality rates in humans, but we're so far blessed that we're not actually getting human-to-human transmission, at least in any significant way. But the only reason we really know that this is happening is because of the global surveillance we have with influenza And what the WHO is saying is that we really need to have similar levels of surveillance for COVID as well. That's right. And there are many people arguing that we've got to have it for other viruses as well. We've just got to keep an eye on what viruses are circulating through animal populations and making animal populations sick globally so that we're not caught unawares. No man is an island and even the human race as a whole is not an island. Uh, That's it for CoronaCast though today. We'll catch you next week. Yep. And when the flu vaccine is out, make sure you get it. 